0: I want to uh, consider the thought about Christian giving and specifically is the tithe for today. There's much confusion about this uh, thought and about how God looks into this principle and what his desire is for it. And let me just say early on that as salvation, when a person is saved, At that moment, God implants into every believer's heart a desire to give. We see this principle in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in the New Testament, Testament where Paul quotes Jesus and he says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So this sets a, uh, a principle in effect that believers are to give, unsaved people really can't give anything to God. All that God looks to them for is the prayer of salvation and the fact that they're a sinner. But we want to look into uh, the principles of why we give and to whom we give and when and where and how. And the thing that confuses most people is how much do we give? Why we give? First of all, it's a godly principle. God says we're to give. He plants that into every believer's heart at the, at the moment of salvation. And secondly, the world operates on the system of money. Therefore, the church and the operations of the church have to take place around a monetary value. To whom do we give? Well, we have to be discretionary in our giving. We're to give those who are to those who are worthy. We don't give to just everyone who asks of us. That would not be being a good steward of God's funds and the blessings that He's given into our hand. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse ten says, "If any would not work, neither should he eat." So that's a very clear principle. To whom do we give? We need to be discretionary, as I said, because there are so many unscrupulous people. Uh, affiliated with churches and church works that we have to be discriminatory in, in our giving. When do we give? Well, we're going to look into when that we give. Where do we give? Well, obviously the Bible talks about we're giving to our storehouses. But uh, your storehouse is not only the local assembly which you, with which you uh, associate. It can be uh, multitudes of places. Now, the the real storehouse, of course, is... Is is in the ecology of God, how He wishes to to uh, dole out to us, as it were. How do we give? Uh, we're going to be covering that. And as I said, the foundational teaching is how much do we give. Uh, this is the big question, and uh, the basically the reason for this teaching. To develop this thought and lead into it, uh, I'd like to give some background as we lead into it, which I think will help clear and maybe give a foundation for it. In Genesis 1 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens, singular. Uh, that's the atmosphere around the earth, and the earth is, uh, is singular again. It's the earth on which we live. So we know that the principles going to be in the Bible is going to be are going to be dealing primarily with what happens on this earth, although the the whole universe comes into play and and is ta- talked about in many places. But basically, the Bible is dealing with this earth, the habitation of it, and the operation of His people and God's plan for it. So in Genesis one one, He delineates that, and in verse twenty. 6, it says, let us make man in our image. So here we see the triune God uh, working in his creation. In Genesis 4, verses 1 and 2, it goes on to elaborate that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Abel and Cain. And Cain brought forth the fruit of the ground, an offering, very important, offering unto the Lord. And it says, Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. That's an offering of the Lord also. Now, the word "offering" there in Genesis four, verse one and two, is the Hebrew word which stands for to bestow something to someone, to to donate, to to pay a tribute. And I know these may be a little foreign terms when you think about this in in our relationship to God. But we'll develop this. It stands for an offering is is a token. It's a token. Uh, of our love and our thanksgiving and our gratitude. And all of these are given to the Lord. God then begins to separate a people unto Himself for His name's sake. You'll see that theme run throughout the whole of the Bible, that He's separating for His name's sake. He's bringing people under His name's sake. In Genesis thirteen fourteen. It says, the Lord said unto Abram, of course we know this will later be Abraham when his name is changed. And Abraham here is a type of God the Father. And it says, uh, after Lot was separated. Now Lot in this particular instance is a type of our flesh. that has to be cut away and separated before the move of God can flow fully into our life. And it says, God says to Abram, lift up now. Your eyes and the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Again, God is establishing a principle. So here God follows a plan uh, of him being the first to give to us. Now, when, this is a very, very important uh point that we need to get into our understanding it's not that we move toward god and then he reacts god always moves toward his creation and then as we respond to him we act toward him and then he responds to us but god is always the initiator he is always the blessor and in genesis 13 uh in verse 18 of that uh chapter then uh It says, Abram came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, and there built an altar unto the Lord. Now, God had blessed him, and here his offering is an altar of worship unto the Lord. Here we see man honoring God's blessing by giving him an offering of worship, an offering of worship. Offerings can take different forms. We see this. Later on in this uh, in this book of Genesis, we see where Abram rescues his nephew Lot from his captors, and after that battle, where he has rescued him and his goods and his and his people, it says this figure uh, called Melchizedek here in this passage is a type of Christ. It says he brought bread and wine, and he said he blessed Abram with a prophetic word. Now, that, that last part is mine. It says he blessed Abram, but I'm inserting a parenthetical insertion there. He blessed Abram with a prophetic word, and that prophetic word, this is, this is a type of God moving toward us, that Abram would be delivered from his enemies and made possessor of heaven and earth. Now, if we're not careful, we could gloss over those, but what a momentous blessing. Here we see this person, Melchizedek, which is a type of Christ, as I said, giving Abram assurance that his enemies would would not conquer him, that he would be delivered from them, and also he would be possessor of heaven and earth. And the implication is that of everything in heaven and earth, Abram gives to him tithes of all it says he gave him tithes of all now this time this is the first time that the word tithe is mentioned in scripture and many take this and they start to bring extraneous types of, the, of faults and concepts and, and exegesis out of it. But here we have the law of first mention. It is setting a principle in order for future application. This is called the law of first mention. In other words, where the way that something is first mentioned in the scriptures, you can look for it to follow that particular theme throughout the scripture scriptures. So here Here, tithe is literally a tenth, and we need to understand that. Tithe means tenth. It's a tenth of something. It doesn't have to be only monetary. It can be a tenth of something. Here, Abram gives him a tithe of all. There were three different types of tithes to be paid by the Hebrew people. Besides those that uh, from the Levites to the priests that was set aside, but there were three other types that were to be uh, taken and paid uh, taken from the people and paid by the people. First, tithe that they gave uh, they gave to the Levites for maintaining the place of worship. And if you give a little thought, you can see where that can apply for today in form. The first tithe was to the Levites for maintaining the worship place. The second tithe was for the Lord's feast and the sacrifices. Uh, these were to be eaten in the place where the Lord would choose to put his name there. Now, th- this is uh, later on, the Lord would institute this principle in the Lord's Supper. But here it says that the second tithe was to be eaten in the place where God would have his name there. And such as an example, that would be uh, uh, Noah ate in the ark. The priests ate in the tabernacle. And later on, the priests ate in the temple. And as I said, Jesus would institute that in the Lord's Supper in a form later on. Uh, This particular tithe was also sent to Jerusalem. And uh, if it was too far away, if you were not close enough to Jerusalem as a Hebrew to, to send your tithe, then they translated that into a value of money. And they sent the money to uh, to Jerusalem, and it was uh, to pay for the uh, temple oxen and sheep and wine and or whatever else was required, uh, salt or or whatever else was required in the uh, oil in, in the administration and ministering of the of the temple. The third tithe, in addition to the first two tithes, there was to be every third year a tithe for the poor to be eaten, verse 28 through 29. Now, these ties were still in effect when Jesus was born and through his first advent or through the incarnation. Uh, he, he clearly mentioned these in many, many places, and the Jews were still uh, adhering to this, and they were still practicing this uh, at that time. Of course, they would carry that on even after uh, he had been crucified. In Luke 18, chapter 18, verse 9 through 14, Jesus tells a parable here, and he's speaking specifically to the Pharisees. And uh, it, it, he gives this parable, and of course, a parable is a story in which is embedded a uh, a truth, a moral truth, a spiritual truth. Uh, So some type of an embedded understanding that's kind of cloaked in a contemporary type of a story. So here Jesus tells this parable and it says the Pharisee prayed and what he prayed was, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men. Now, immediately something starts to sound a little fishy to us. In other words, something starts to smell a little strange and uh when people take this attitude so immediately we're we're seeing a a separation here of of fault. So he says, I thank you that I'm not as other men. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, an adulterer, or this publican, and then he singles out a person, a publican, which was a tax collector, and he goes on to say in this parable Jesus is giving. Yes, he says that the Pharisee prayed. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, we can see here also that just giving in and of itself is nothing. It can be counterproductive, as a matter of fact. It has to be done under principles and it has to be done with rules and it has to be done under the right mindset and the right heart set. And then Jesus goes on with this parable and he shows a contrast between the Pharisee and, and the publican uh, that was probably, he doesn't say that, but most probably the one that the uh, Pharisee in the story would have been indicating, uh, at the one of the Pharisee that said that he was not like or like this publican. So, the publican then shows the contrast, and he prayed, and he says that he would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven now that 's humility that 's that 's abject searching deep in the heart, uh, revelation, judging oneself, and realizing who we are in relationship to a jehovah uh, holy God. He says he was not so much as lift up his eyes. Unto heaven. And he says, and he smote his breast. That was an indication in that day of, of abject uh, uh, despair and, and, and degradation of, of a person, and they're, they're bruised inside. And then he would say, and he said, Jesus said, the publican said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Until we can come to this type of uh, of an evaluation of our innermost self, There's very little that God can do for us. As long as we try to stand in our own righteousness, there's really nothing we can give for God, give to God, or do for God. It's all self-righteousness, and Jesus would later say that that's as uh, filthy rags. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, here again Jesus is speaking, and he addresses the Pharisee. Now, remember, or not remember, but look, Jesus is... The primary problem in Jesus' incarnation was with the religiosity of his day, with the religious leadership, with their mores and their traditions, which he would say has separated them from the, from the love and the workings of God. So they were, they were mainly his battlefield and his, uh, and his uh, uh, antagonist and protagonist. In, in the in the warfare of his incarnation, so in Luke Luke eleven forty two, Jesus says, "Woe unto you Pharisees!" And I think I could probably say, parenthetically, religious in your heart if you're just religious, for ye tithe mint and rue. Now rue was just simply uh, a plant which leaves were used for medicinal medical purposes. He says, "And all manner of herbs." And pass over judgment, which is justice, and that's the, the Hebrew word for or Greek word rather for for justice is judgment. And the love of God. He says, You pass over these things, and the love of God. And he goes on to elaborate, he says, These ought you to have done. So he says, You should have done all these, you should have tithed all these things. But remember he was speaking to Hebrews. He was speaking to Israel, the people of Israel. And he says, and not leave the other undone. So if you if you look at reciprocals, you can look at all of those, and there's a reciprocal to it. He says, you shouldn't have left the other undone. You should have done this, but you should not have left the other undone. So you, you can really meditate on that. That'll be a good meditating point for you at some point. Uh, this scripture is showing that in giving, for the wrong reason and the wrong way can put a person under worse situations than they were before it, before they tried to do that it can put a person under the law and so many of the of the people in the body of Christ today are in bondage and they're under the law and and this is exactly what this type of attitude that that uh, Jesus was condemning the Pharisees for. Is it? He's saying that you're you're under law and uh, and you're under bondages and God, God doesn't want us to be under the law. He doesn't want us to be in bondage. Bondage will put feathers and chains upon you that 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 are hard, difficult to be broken. And there are those around who will try to do that to you. And if you're not careful. Even your own mind and your own heart will try to do that because in many cases we want to find, we want to try to find that we have something to do with God's processes. When, as I said earlier, everything that we have first is initiated by God. We respond to that and then God responds to our response with a response and then we respond to his response infinitum and the process goes on and the blessings flow as we yield with the Holy Spirit. So, in Romans chapter 6, verse 14, uh, uh, Paul here is writing the heart of God, and he says, sin, or this law and this bondage, sin will not have dominion over you. It says, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. If, If the body of Christ could ever really in their spirit person, spirit man, see that truth, It would liberate them far beyond what they could ever uh, hope to understand. Your sin won't have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, you're under grace. After the cross of Christ, we need to remember there's not one word about the giving of a tithe for the body of Christ. Now, we are part of a, of the a church, but the church has been around ever since there was people. Adam and Eve comprised the church for, church is simply nothing but the word for, it would be ecclesia to us, but it just simply means a group of people who are called out. So God has always had a, a group of people who were called out, but within the church of his uh totality and its working in and working out, which is yet in process and will be in process uh, for a goodly amount of time to come. Embedded within that is the body of Christ. And as I'm speaking this, we are part of the body of Christ. And of course when the body of Christ we're part of the church, which is a bigger thing, but the body of Christ is unique to itself. And there's not one word in the scripture which uh, talks about a tithe being for the body of Christ. There's a little bit in, in Hebrews, but there again, that's not app- applying specifically to the body of Christ. It's more or less to the church and its total entity. And, of course, the Jews in the book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrew people. And it clearly says that. So uh, that, that would be part of the body of Christ. It falls within that framework of the quote-unquote church to which it applies. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 and 38, we see what Jesus is going to call the greatest commandment. And here he says, and I'm quoting, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Didn't say one word about giving of anything Uh, material value, monetary value, any of that was not included in that. It all dealt with that which was inside. And Jesus, that's why Jesus would say, it's not the things that go into a person, it's what comes out that defiles a person. So the greatest work and the first work that God ever starts doing as an individual is from the inside out. He gets a say from the inside, and then that translates into actions that are manifest in the outside. This is a very, very important. And here where he says uh, that you love him, love God with all your heart, and then he repeats the statement and with all your soul, and repeats the statement and with all thy mind. Now each of those statements, when when you look at the at the Greek construction, each of those statements are not only tie together, but they can stand independently along. He could have said, you're going to love, the, you shall, and he's, by the way, he uses the word shout. That's the strongest word that the Holy Spirit could use in this, and God uh, went, went to, the, to the writer of Matthew, who actually was quoting, uh, was quoting Jesus, and has been guided in his pen by the Holy Spirit. Each of those statements could have, long, could have stood along. He could have said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And he could have stopped there, and the, and the thought would have been complete, and all the rest of it would have been included. And he says, And with all thy soul. The soul is where you're, you're, uh, you make the decisions. It's where your will comes into play. And it says, With all of your mind. In other words, your thinking has to be right. And it says, this is the first and greatest commandment, very significant, inside purging, inside uh, definition, inside evaluation of of our own self. When we look at the the Old Testament and we look at the New Testament in light of of Christian giving, in the Old Testament, we do, we see the tithe. But let me just go back and say right here that the principle of giving, as I said early on, runs throughout the Bible. It's a principle that God set in place early on in the Bible in the natural form and in his creation form. And then that's the first thing, as I said that he does in the Christian heart, at the salvation, the very first thing that we want to do and a desire to do should be to give, to share the gospel, to give of our substance, to give of our time and our talents unto the Lord, and then he multiplies those to our credit. So in the Old Testament, tithing was a part of that. Certainly it was. They gave to the temple. For the maintenance of the temple, they gave to the temple for the upkeep. They gave for the, for the increments uh, 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 that were to be used in the temple. They gave to the priests who uh, did priestly work. Now, all of these have their type in the new covenant. They gave in the old covenant under tithe, they gave to the needy. And they gave to for the sacrificial animals which were used in the uh, in the temple. But each of those, when we come into the new covenant, which did not do away with the old. And this, by the way, this is an, a very important principle that from the time God purposed to create man, and to the very point, and even on into the ages to come, uh, God sets this principle in place that He's going to give to man, to his creation. So, Each of these have their carryover, and none of this was lost when you come through the cross into Christ, which is the way that every person must come to God. Because Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and he couldn't lie, he says that no man can come to me except the Father draw him. He doesn't say any other person, any other entity, any other organization, any other embedded organization, anything within that organization. He says, except by me, and of course he would legislate that it's the Holy Spirit who tells us about Jesus and the Godhead and the Word of God. If, if people, for those who've never heard the name Jesus, then they they intuitively know about the Word of God and they know about the Father and they know about the Son, not by definition, but by what they see around them. So we see all of this brought forth into the New Covenant, and every, and none of that is lost. All of it comes through the cross and through Jesus into the New Covenant. So we see in the temple, do we do we have that uh, in, in process? Absolutely a new covenant. God does a new and expanded thing. He didn't do away with the old. He just expands that. For in 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Holy Spirit writes through Paul and he tells us that you, now you can put your name in there, you are the temple of, of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now this again is one of those truths that we can read over so quickly. And if we do that, we're going to miss one of the great truths of the Bible, the fact that inside of a believer dwells the eternal God in, in active form and intuitiveness and in and understanding and, and counsel and wisdom. He's alive within the believer. He 's alive within the believer, and that's not truth of the unbeliever. The unbeliever is dead in trespasses and sins, but if you will realize that you are the temple of God, then you will want to take care of the temple there's things that you'll want to weed out of putting into your body that aren't that is not uh, Proper to put into the temple of God. There's things that will not come out of your mouth or out of your mind or out of your heart that are not pleasing to God. We'll start cleaning up these things and we'll allow them. Well, actually, I'm going to rephrase, rephrase that. You don't clean them up. You surrender to God and then God starts cleaning these things. You, can, you and I can't do it in our own strength, but through him. We can do all things. I, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So we, we need to take care of our temple. We need to be care of, of how much we put into it. We need to put the right amount. We need to give it enough rest. We need to maintain it with cleanliness and, 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 and proper living and, and proper relationships and proper attitude. In the New Testament, it, it says that in the Old Testament, all you had to go to the place where the priest was. The you had to go to the uh, tabernacle or to the temple. But it says in the New Covenant, you are a priest. God has made you a priest. Therefore, you can receive giving from God. You see how God brings this principle in. We they took them to the priest in the old, but here people will be bringing. Goods to you. God will be bringing things to you for your use. So you are a priest and you can receive these things. Uh, one of the hardest things that many people have in person in my own life, one of the hardest things I had to learn was to be able to receive from well I could give. I could give pretty easily, but receiving for somebody, and of course it was a pride situation, but there's times that God wants to just bless you through other people. And even if you're a person of means, when God sends somebody across your path and they want to bless you, you receive that, you thank them cordially, and you bless them in the Lord, but then you turn around in your heart of hearts and you say, God, I thank you for this blessing through this individual or through this circumstance. Not only are you made a priest in the New Covenant, but in the Old Covenant they had kings. In the New Covenant it says you are a king. Again, if you will realize your kingship, kings make decisions. They rule. They set principles in order that can't be violated without penalty. In the Old Covenant they use multitudes of lambs and bullocks and goats and pigeons and and other things, breads and barleys and grains to and oils to do their their sacrifices. It tells us in the new covenant that Jesus was the lamb. Remember when John the Baptist looked up and lifted up his eyes and seeing Jesus coming, he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." He 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 was just not t- talking about a tenderhearted person. He was saying, "You see that person right there." He is the embodiment of all the lambs and the sheeps and the goats and the bullocks and, and all the other sacrifices of the old covenant. Things are changing. Um, that's my words. Uh, we have to remember that when Jesus was alive, he's alive in us. In his incarnation. When he was persecuted, they were persecuting you and me because we were in his genes, in his We were in his loins. In his spirit. When they tried him, you and I were tried. When they purged him and spat upon him and physically abused him, they were abusing you and me. When they nailed him to the cross, the Bible says that you and I were nailed to the cross. When he died and paid the penalty and rose again, you and I Our penalty has been paid in him because we were on the cross with him. And it says that we die with him and we are raised to newness of life, just as he was raised to newness of life. And in the old covenant, in the temple, and in the tabernacle, they decided who they would give the goods to those who were needy. In the New Covenant, you decide who are the needy don't don't let just an appeal from a uh, a pseudo or a neo christian uh supposedly uh station it may even be a christian station uh, make an appeal to you to your don't don't in other words don't give out of emotion. give because the heart of God says, "I want you to do this." They're giving, and then you decide who are needing. You make that decision. God leaves that up to you. Now, if you want him to do will he'll prompt you, and he'll say, you know, what are worthy and what are not. He'll give you that impetus to understand and to perceive spiritually what is a worthy cause. And, you know, you, you can't give to every worthy cause. Nobody has that kind of money. Nobody has that kind of good. So you have to be discretionary. There's times that you will find yourself giving to the beggar on the street. Because God says, or do you have a witness that that this would be a good ministry gift? There's others you can walk right by with their handout, and you can do the same principle in the church. Don't give to every handout that's in the church. There there are, are people in the church that you should not give to. There are causes that you're not called to give to. You can't you can't meet every need. Others you can, but you you decide that. In the New Testament. You need to understand. We give to God. We're not giving to the need. We're not responding to an uh, 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 a need on TV or to a, uh, an appeal in some form. Even in our local churches, uh, we're not only to respond to those in totality. Everything you need to remember. We we give to God. Uh, we give to Him for. Praise we give to him for thanksgiving, we give to him for worship, and we do not give to appease God or to incur incur more favor from God. There's nothing that you can do or not do that God would make you uh, would love you any less that would make God love you any more or cause him to love you any less. He's going to love you without qualifications, no matter what you do. But, of course, our actions will incur the blessings of God. And another thing we don't give out of, we don't give because of a law. We don't respond to uh, a letter of a law that you have to give uh, X amount, or you have to give on a, uh, a specific way, uh, that's dictated by somebody else that that's bondage that's law we don't we don't give out of bondage we don't give because we feel that somebody will will think worse of us if we don't give or that we'll 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 be looked on with uh with kind of a jaundiced eye in our local church or our local assembly if we don't give that they'll think worse of us or knowing that the pastor may be going over the the giving accounts most churches call them a tithing account uh they actually, as you can understand, have a problem with that. And, and a lot of people feel in bondage if they don't give 10% or 15% or 20% or, or they're not there every time the church doors open or they're not there at every appeal or, or every time that somebody uh, comes to them and says something and, and if they don't respond, then, then the story's going to be spread that they're not a good Christian and they're not walking in the fellowship. That's bondage. That's bondage. Get free of that. We're not under law or bondage. We're under grace. Giving is not to increase God. We don't give to God so that he will be increased. God is complete. There's nothing that we could give to him or take away from him that would make him less incomplete. complete. We give to God, but as we do that... It's with a divine understanding that God is going to bless that and I am going to be increased. Now, we don't give from a selfish motive that God is honor-bound to give us. Now, this is, this is a very important teaching that's out there in so many forms, and it's widespread, in this bondage, and this law. And, and they say to many, many people, you know, uh, you, you give X amount, and God will, will do this, and if you're not giving to God, then you're underneath a curse. And they quote Malachi chapter 3 to, to establish that point. Well, that's not. It's not applicable for the church. It's not for the church today. Don't let people put you underneath bondage. We give to God. God, yes, out of love and appreciation, and we we know that when we do that, God is going to increase us because we're adhering to his principle, not the letter of that principle, not the law or the bondage of a principle, but it's to the principle itself of having a heart to give, and we know that God... It gives to us, there's a scripture that says those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's not the initial seeking, but That's that's continual seeking. The first two considerations for giving uh, to the New Testament saints, there are two, uh, and basically as I see there are only two considerations that we need to look at to Tell the, the who and the where and the how and the when and the how much that we're to give and uh, to God and to to satisfy the needs of the local assembly. Now, obviously, your local assembly, you know, as I said, the world operates on on cash. It takes money to to for air conditioning. It takes money for electricity. It takes money for 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 water and for heat and to. You know, to to maintain the building, uh, some have sound systems, another have elaborate uh, <coughs> excuse me elaborate uh, facilities to accommodate the people, bathroom facilities, uh, utensils to be used in worship. All these things are necessary. Uh, but in in our thoughts about taking care of those, and we should take care of those. We ought to support our local assembly, but that's not the only place that we should support. Let God choose that, and in doing that, these are there are two considerations that I want to give to you for, for your consideration. First thing, look at First Corinthians, chapter sixteen, verse one, and here Paul starts to lay out Christian giving, uh, the body of Christ giving, how we should approach our giving. It says, "Now this is Paul." writing, but he's being functioned by the Holy Spirit to where actually the Holy Spirit is is, is forming words in his mind and Paul is putting them down. He says, now concerning the collections of the saints, I I don't know how that could be much, much clearer. So in in verse two of first Corinthians 16, it says upon the first day of the week. Now, what's the first day of the week? Many people, uh, Attend the church on the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is clearly the seventh day. God established that in the old covenant. That's an old covenant truth. But in the new covenant, if you want to, if you want to attend on the seventh day, that's okay. If you want to attend on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, uh, that's fine. Also, Bible says don't let people judge you in the in the days. Uh, but it says on the first day of the week. Now, this is the proper way to do it, I believe. The scripture says, and the first day of the week would be. The, the first day, which would be Sunday to us, and it would also be the eighth day, and both of those have wonderful spiritual applications. The first would be the, could be indication the first of any <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> the first of anything, uh, and there's a principle about the where to give the first of anything. You'll see that maybe later on. So on the first day of the week, let every one of you. Well, that means you and me individually, not, not the body, not, not our totality of our fellowship, but it's a personal thing. Let every one of you on the first day of the week lay aside, uh, and uh, actually where it says lay there, uh, it's really saying the word in, in, the, in the Greek would be lay some aside and store it up. And you're bringing that into your storehouse. You lay it, you store it up. We know that in the old farming thing where they, they brought the goods and into the uh, harvest, into the storehouse, the the local barn. We call them a barn in the United States. They have other names for them in other countries. And there's a spiritual principle. We On the first day of the week, we lay in store. Uh, why? Because it's going to be needed the coming week and the coming month and, and whatever on. So we lay in store uh by him, it says, on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him. Now, let me attack a a, a principle that's being taught as truth, and I take exception to it. I think it's it's misleading. And I think it's bondage to the people of God, and I think it's self-serving on the behalf of others, and that is giving to God something and expecting God to respond. Let me give you an example. Some people would say, "Okay, you give God a hundred dollars, and you watch God give you back a thousand dollars." Or a a million dollars or whatever. You give God 10 and he'll give you back 100. In other words, you tithe on what you want God to give you. No, that is a principle. In other words, they use use another word too. They use sow your seed. That's another type of the same same error, I believe. No, here it says that we... Give and we lay in store as God has prospered. Here again, the principle is God giving to us first and then responding and then God multiplies that back to us and then we give to him and then he back to us. And you see, this is the principle I laid out earlier. As God has prospered him, that on the first day of the week we're to do that individually, and of course, when you bring it into the corporate one, then it's multiplied by many. That's the first principle. The second principle is found in second Corinthians chapter nine and verse six. And there's a principle here, and it says, "I'm quoting, "He which soweth sparingly shall also reap sparingly." and he which soweth bountifully in other words in blessings is what the bountifully means in blessings shall also reap bountifully and, and there again that word bounty is blessings so let me just read it again as it was say he, he which soweth sparingly or you know if you if, you're, if you give grudgingly shall also reap also sparingly and he which soweth in blessings shall also reap In blessings. And in verse 7 says. Every man. That's a generic term. It means women. Children as they understand. Giving principle young people. Every man according. As he purposes in his heart. You make the decision. Every man accordingly. As he purposes in his heart. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. That's what I spoke about. That means compulsion. Necessity means the word compulsion. For God loveth a cheerful, that's the word joyous, joyful giver. I want to read that one more time now without some exegesis. The fact, let me read both of these. Uh, Securities 9, 6 and 7. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully in blessings shall also reap bountifully. Every man according as he purposes on his, in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And as I just read in uh, in First Corinthians 16, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints, upon the first day of the week, that every one of you lay in store by him as God has prospered him. Now let me say to you who are listening to this, this word, I've tried to give you scripture for it. I've tried to give you the foundation as, as I see the Bible teaches this. It'll relieve you from bondage. It'll free you and it'll, it'll, it'll allow you so much more latitude. My thought for you is, and what I'd like to leave with you as I close this, is go in freedom. You're not under bondage. You're not under the law. In the New Testament, we're under grace. We are not under the law. You can't keep the law. Only Jesus kept the law. Man can't keep it. It's, too, uh, it is, it's a schoolmaster to bring us to him. But in the new covenant, the believer, God ministers to us from the inside. He, He, He speaks to us in our, in our conscience and in our will and in our emotions. So go in freedom. Don't let people put you in bondage. Also, bless the Lord, not men. When you, when you give, even though you may give, be giving to a person or to an individual or to a cause, give it as unto the Lord. Not to men. Bless God with all of that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and I realize that's back in the Old Covenant, but there are scriptures, as I said, in the New Covenant that says God's a rewarder of those who seek him. In Deuteronomy 20, 28, if you want to look at that, it'll talk about the blessing shall come upon you. Now, clearly that's being spoken to of Israel. But the, everything that you see there, God's not going to do less for you and me in the new covenant than he did for them. He's not going to give us less and have less desire for us. He's not a God sitting with a condemning spirit that's going to condemn you and me. If you never gave another penny to, or, or act to God, your salvation would not be in question. Your rewards would be, but not your salvation. I'm leaving you with this scripture, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. My friend and fellow Christian, you're free. Don't go back to the beggarly way of putting yourself back in bondage and and a yoke that goes along with it. Men will put that upon you, and you'll even put that upon yourself. Hopefully you'll listen to this teaching a a couple of three times until it gets down into your spirit. And when it does, I guarantee you this, your life will never, ever be the same. You're not going to want to give less to God. You're going to want to give more to God. But you'll do it out of a heart of love and appreciation. And you'll not give sparingly, but you'll give bountifully. God does not expect you to become a pauper so that you could bless Him. He understands. He's not, in rare, rare occasions, does God ever require everything from a person? Most of us, He just requires a response to His love. So, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us, you and me, collectively working for the Lord, free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace is my prayer for you as we end this teaching. In Jesus' name and amen.